part two. Here we go. So we want to roll into um, just kind of talking through, you know, what is that triage? How does it relate to this issue of kind of like pastors, leaders that are at least carrying water for CRT, if nothing else, for woke, Mm. just the ideology, or basically it's not even limited to that. It's really critical theory because it's rooted in this broader cultural framework to really, really take down Christianity at bottom. Um, But what do you do, you know, with some of the guys that are on the spectrum that aren't as bad and some that are worse than others? And are are we just, are we trying to cancel these guys? Like what's, what's going on? That's not really what's happening here, but um, yeah, I think, so I do think that, you know, we've had Neil Shinvey on the, the podcast a few times to really explain what critical theory is. And if you haven't watched those episodes, I recommend you go back to those and listen to them. They're really um, helpful in, in helping you understand really what it is. He's done a, a, just a ton of study on the issue and is able to explain it and kind of break it down really well. But really critical theory is a worldview. It's a, it's a competing way of seeing the fundamental nature of reality. It's got a competing origin yeah. story, a competing original sin story, a competing salvation and utopia. Um, and it's basically, um, you can, you can map it back to Marx in a lot of ways and you can map him further back to Hegel in in some ways, but, um, it really is Marxist in its roots and it comes out and it gets expressed through cultural elements. So, so whereas Marx only really focused on the economic divide between the oppressors who were the bourgeoisie and the oppressed or the proletariat or the working class. Um, different guys took that later on. Gramsci um, built out this idea of the hegemony, the cultural norms that are used to oppress others. Marcuse talked about how along the lines of sex and, and then you had Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw along the lines of race. They'd really developed critical race theory. So along the lines of um, gender, religion, race, whether you're able-bodied or not, if you're native-born, like they keep expanding the categories, but basically it's a binary system where you have an oppressor class, an oppressed class. Mm. I mean, it's a way of looking at the world, like really from the bottom up. And so you have some, like the, the I think the gin hat maker type people have bought into it lock, stock and barrel. Like they're committed critical theorists and that's like driving everything they do. They They will interpret the scripture if they even attempt to do that in light of critical theory. It's, it's really wild. But I think for the most part that what we're talking about here with big Eva, it's either the attempt to synthesize certain elements of that, like tools, analytical tools they'll talk about, or to at least allow um, parts of that to come into the church. So we don't upset the culture too much. So is that, you know, is that that bad? Like, should we, should we get up in arms about Ooh. that? Like if so, how much so? And that is a good question. Like, is that an, is there a literal us versus them? Now, I think um, as we're thinking through this, I think clearly, when if you're if you're talking about the whole package, the critical theory package, that is an opposing religion. So anybody that's teaching that, obviously, that's an that's that's a them. That's not an us with Christianity. Make sense? Sure. And that's. Yeah core central issues, anthropology, everything. It's like, it's all built in with the synthesis. I think it's a little bit more difficult on the surface, but I do think when you dig down, um, you still have a major problem there. And, and 
I've been thinking about this. You can, I'm going to throw this analogy your way and see what you think. You guys too, if you come up with a better analogy, um, write it to me. Cause I, I do think there's an element involved that has to do with like, it depends on the environment as well as the abstract theology. Okay. It depends on the cultural element that's going on. So I'm thinking here of like, even the apostle Paul in Galatia, right? In the book of Galatians, he's writing and he's dealing with these Judaizers. They're trying to make um, circumcision um, be, be a means of justification. Yeah, necessary. Um, you know, they were still saying it's by faith, but you have to add this okay. to your faith. Now, you could argue that, yeah, that, that does undermine core doctrine in that center, like that under, undermines the idea of um, by faith alone, and that is a core. But, you know, I think what made that even more like what Paul really came out strongly against that was because there was an actual party, um, the Judaizers, that were, that were making waves and inroads into the church. So he had to deal with it in very strong terms, right? So even he basically like use really strong language. Like you, sh- I wish that you would go and like basically dismember yourself if you're going to teach this mm. doctrine in the church. And you know, it's crazy because he's in the same context. He's like saying to love people <laughs> and then he's going and, and for Paul, this, I don't think this was a, a problem because he understood love according to the Bible, not according to how we wow. understand it, where it's soft and go. fuzzy, you know, just kind of like yeah, uh, true, sloppy agape, um, accept people and, and affirm them and whatever their desires might be. And so for Paul, he could be loving and strong at the same time and create in that case, like an us and them clearly, but hoping to protect the sheep and even hoping that that God would grant them repentance. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's also this interesting story in Galatians, same context where, where Paul opposes Peter. And so it's actually, I think it's written in, um, I believe it's Galatians two. Uh, will you read that for us? starting in verse 11 there. Okay. It says. But when Cephas, who is yeah, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party mm-hmm. which he spoke up. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Yeah. Right. I see what you're saying. So here's a case when Peter wasn't necessarily joining in the error of the circumcision party with his theology, but he was acting in a way that was giving space to that theology. Like he was, he was. In, in, in essence, allowing that theology to Disturbed, have sway yeah. by his actions. And Paul had no problem. He confronted him like in bold terms publicly and then wrote about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think we have biblical precedent. And this is just, I'm just skimming the surface here. You can, many, many cases like this. But even if you don't think that they've disqualified themselves, which many of these guys we're talking about haven't, I don't think they've committed yeah. some heresy necessarily. Um, I think we have precedent for confronting them publicly and calling them out, especially when they are giving 
leeway to a false ideology that's coming in in very, very present right now. And that's the thing. Like this is, I would say the competing religion to Christianity right now is critical theory um, in our nation. And so when you're living in a time where that's such an important thing, that's in the midst of this circumcision party making inroads and really pressing, Paul understood he had to be super careful to not give it an inch. And if anybody gave it an inch, especially a leader like Peter, right? Because Peter, people rightfully look up to him as a pillar of the faith. So if he's giving that an inch, that's going to be destructive for the church. So even if it's not in that center circle in the theological triage, if it's harmful to the church to a very um, strong degree, and if it will lead to that, I think that people who are giving public... um, especially leaders that are giving uh, place to that error in public and are not responding to the private rebuke, which a lot of these guys have been. Um, I know for a fact people have reached out to them, many of them behind the scenes, and they haven't listened. They haven't repented of that. They haven't stopped doing what they were doing. So you have to address that. And I was thinking about another analogy. I don't even know if this is needed because that's such a good example, but I was thinking about, um, you know, somebody in, in the church who's, they, they just, they're an elder. Okay. Okay. And, um, they are, they believe that it's, that it's wrong and it's disunifying to bring any kind of charges against any of the other elders on the board. Okay. They're they're the man of God. And so you can't, (laughs) can't touch God's anointing. That's their theology. Um, now, in normal times, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that is a heresy. I would say that's an error. They're misapplying some Old Testament scriptures to, to church um, authority. Um, but it's, but it more is like on the secondary or maybe third level, right? Um, and you might be willing to even, in, in, if the leadership in general is good, you might not care about sure, his, his same, error yeah. in that particular issue, right? Okay. But let's say another er- another elder was actually a pedophile and was committing those kind of sins with kids and leading them into it. Now this guy all of a sudden who's saying you can't confront the man of God, let's say he was doing that and using it as a blockade to stop people from confronting this other pedophile yeah. elder, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have a then there's more urgency. You have to you have yeah. to like do whatever it takes to basically knock down this guy's theology and make sure that he's not acting in that position of leadership to stop people from yeah. being able to correct the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something similar in that vein when you have guys that are, that are in essence, um, their error in this theological issue is keeping the church from dealing with this cancer that needs to be dealt with. Now, the question is like, imagine this elder again, the one that has the bad theology, the let's call it the, the, the man of God theology. <laughs> um, he has that theology. He might mean well, like he might just sure. be sincere in that theology. You still have to, to address it, it yeah. and confront it. Now it would be even worse though. What if you found out he was getting paid by the pedophile? Oh gosh. Now that's the question. Like, so sometimes I do think there are sincere guys in this big Eva world that, that really mean well, they just have, 
for whatever reason, they either have the like Tim Keller, I think means well, he just has a wrong view of biblical justice and he has a wrong, this wrong headed idea of how to reach the world, um, by capitulating on these issues and compromising on them. But there are other people, I won't name the names because this is in charge. You really do have to have two or three witnesses to bring, um, in a biblical sense to bring someone on the charges actually, um, being malicious in this. But, I, but I have seen some evidence that some people involved in the Big Eva circuit are getting funded by the Open Society Foundation, wow. George Soros, that kind of thing. Um, so there's the spectrum of everything. But I think the point here is either way, even this for the sincere advocate, they have to be addressed because of the harm and because of the cultural context that's involved. And I think we are in that environmental position in the culture to where we are, we are in this kind of like Kairos moment of the church. Every, every, you know, I don't know the exact number, but there are phases in church history where a certain doctrine comes up that has to be addressed. Um, you had Athanasius and his battle with Arianism, the, uh, you know, in the early church where he basically Athanasius won the day with Trinitarian doctrine over the view the Arian, which is like a modern day Jehovah's Witness, it would be in that line that denied the divinity of Christ. But that was very important, like, and that was catching on a lot in the church. And if Athanasius hadn't stood up so strong as he did, like we, it could have completely undermined one of the central doctrines of Christianity early on. And I think we're in one of those moments right now with this particular issue, we're having to say, okay, no, this is a this is a this is a hill worth dying on, and it's something worth going to the mat on because of how important, how central it is, and how much of an influence it's having in the church right now. So, that's that's the kind of I don't know if that helps yeah, at all. Really what good. your thoughts are on that with regard to like it's not a tight like necessary and sufficient list of conditions on when to do an us versus them, but I do think it gives us something to like just chew on. I'm still thinking through how to explain it, but just at an intuitional level, um, having done like cultural apologetics and, and all that sure. kind of thing it, to me, initially I had, I think it has some prima facie weight to say, um, yeah, this, this is an us versus them issue. Like this is important enough mm-hmm. for that. Now I'm still trying to like, if, if you guys that are listening will give me some more time. I'm trying to develop. And if you have any thoughts on it, write us in. But I, I'm trying to figure out how to explicate it because I think the point she brings up in the email is really good. Like yeah. I, I want to be able to explain like why, why is it justified and even maybe a duty to come out like Douglas Wilson did and name names yeah. in this scenario. And I think the reason is, is because they're doing in essence what Peter did. Mm. Um, and that's across the board, some lesser defenders, some greater. But I think this, there's definitely biblical warrant for strongly and publicly confronting these guys. So um, I want to bring one more thing to, to bear here. Um, and so let me see if I can pull it up. There is a, there's another Jared Longshore. Um, he he's the guy we we played the first week and we did where do we go from here okay. and he laid out the three ways there's an article that came out this past week and he'll talk about it from um I think it's Megan Bashan or Bashan from Daily Wire and it was um entitled if I can pull it up here um how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread covid propaganda to churches how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. I'll put this link in the show notes huh. 
Um, but Jared Longshore is going to talk through that a little bit. And I want to, I want to play through his, um, what he, what he did on that for here and just, and, and talk through it quickly. So here we go. If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. In some fine reporting over at The Daily Wire, Megan Basham has detailed how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda. Basham cites several interviews between leading evangelicals and Francis Collins, the Barack Obama-appointed director of the National Institutes of Health. So... I don't know if you remember uh, Francis Collins from back mm-hmm. in the day, me talking about him a little bit, but um, well-known like scientist, Christian evangelical, kind of the epitome of like who the evangelical establishment would look up to is like, this is the way that we should be Christians in the world. So he helped like, I guess uh, he was part of the team that mapped out the human genome um, the DNA, all uh, like basically the whole thing, human genome project back in the Clinton days. Um, I can't remember what year they did that, but he, the, my first uh, familiarity with him was through the book called, the, I think it was called The Language of God. So I was on the road with a uh, well-known worship leader at the time, and they they were kind of like on the bus, we were, they were reading that book. And I had done a lot of study in science and religion before that, kind of like the John Lennox stuff and all that. So when they started talking about it, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, right? Because it was, um, at the time, I wasn't super familiar with many evangelicals that were trying to take evolution and wed it with Christianity. But in <clears throat> Colin's view... He, the language of God was like this idea that there was, um, the DNA was a language, which was cool. Like he, he kind of like had this understanding that like you, you can't account for this in terms of materialism. Like Mm -hmm. there is something to the DNA itself that speaks of language and it's the language of God. It's how he makes life, biological life on the planet. Um, but interestingly enough, he basically held to the neo-Darwinian picture of the development of biological life over the history of the world. So basically once life got started, I can't remember if he believed that that could have happened without God doing something miraculous. Maybe it just was the the primordial soup or whatever theory was. I'm not sure. But once it got started, he, he accepted the basic explanation given by the neo-Darwinian synthesis of something like mutation and chance, natural selection over time created all the biological diversity on the planet and that you need not have God intervene in that process to bring about human beings. Um, So that was the view that Francis Collins was 
kind of assuming in the book, but also even arguing for. So when I was with this um, team on the road, I, I, I decided to read it as well. And we would have these interesting discussions about it. And um, I just remember it, especially for people that didn't have a background in studying, it was really persuasive in making them think that evolution was like the clear scientific way to go. And we should basically just accept that as Christians and then work with that in, in, in our theology, like the science kind of trumps, you know, and then work, use your biblical interpretation to kind of support that and fit with it. And I remember at the time, um, I didn't find many of his arguments for that super persuasive. He also had some unique presentation. I think it, I can't remember if it's in the appendix of the book or just a regular chapter, but on abortion, he was taking some unique positions on that stuff back then. And I think it was sort of like the idea, like when you, you don't know for sure if the meat is bad, but it kind of smells funny. Mm. You know, I remember having that feeling when I read the book and I started getting familiar with his work, but I was also thankful because I had wrestled with science in the Bible for many years. Um, in high school, I remember specifically really, really struggling with that. I was taking my biology class and I was like, man, how do I square this picture with Genesis? And Collins seemed to give a way to do that. And he developed this whole thing called biologos. I don't know if you've heard of that. This is kind of a Christian uh, theistic evolution think tank. It would probably broader than that. Like, how do you do science in the Bible? And many of the contributors, like Peter Inns, was a, a, a big contributor to that, um, who later became sort of, he's, I don't know, I feel like he's in the progressive Christianity camp now. And um, <clears throat> he was arguing kind of wild. He was a more of a, on the theology side and arguing some interesting stuff about Genesis trying to fit it with the evolutionary model. Okay. Um, you also had N.T. Wright who was one of the contributors, but they had a lot of scholars, but they were basically doing this think tank of trying to put these together. And at the time I was somewhat persuaded by it. And I thought, man, this is actually, I really appreciated what they were trying to do. But at the same time, I had a little bit of a hesitancy for Francis Collins way that he came to conclusions. Now, later on, like fast forward and, and I find out he's head of the NIH and he's part of this whole COVID measure thing Yikes, that's okay. going on. And and, well. and this article is really interesting because Megan Basham is, is noting how he kind of connected with these different big evil leaders, some, many of which we've been talking about. And basically in what looked like a coordinated effort to bring the church over on these COVID measures that Fauci and the CDC were trying to push. So that's the basis of this article, uh, of this uh, article that she wrote and that Jared Longshore here is commenting on. So we'll keep on with this. Several well-known names appear in the piece, including Russell Moore, Tim Keller, the Gospel Coalition, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and Christianity Today. In the interviews, Collins, a member of the federal government, partners with evangelical leaders to provide moral imperatives to the Church of God. And Basham goes on to show that Mr. Collins's positions on abortion and LGBTQ sexual perversion leaves him in no position to do so. So that's we're going to come oh, back yeah, yeah, to where Collins is on that. Um, by the way, he mentioned Christianity Today. I can't remember if I've said this before, but if you have a subscription, then just go ahead and cancel immediately. Don't give them another dime of your money. Um, they're just, you know, I think Vody Bauckham said this. They, 
Christianity Today used to be a leading Christian publication. Now it's neither leading nor Christian. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're just, man, they're they're eating up with this kind of Big Eva stuff. Okay. Mark Galley, who was the editor, I, I don't know if he's still there or not. I think Russell Moore actually might be there now. But it's just really, man, I picked up one of the magazines in the office the other day. I was like, this is awful, just terrible. Uh, just propaganda, just along these same lines. But it is, um, I didn't know what we're about to learn about Francis Collins till recently. Here's a brief sampling from Basham's article. Quote, former megachurch pastor Tim Keller's joint interview with Collins included a digression where the pair agreed that churches like John MacArthur's, which continued to meet in person despite COVID lockdowns, represented the bad and ugly of good, bad, and ugly Christian responses to the virus. So note that, mm-hmm. right? So Tim Keller, in a joint interview with Collins, they start flowing, talking in a digression. They talk about John MacArthur, who was one of the few pastors to stand up against the draconian measures in California, and they put him in the category of the bad and ugly, of good, bad, and ugly responses to the virus by oh. Christians. That, that, that should be, I think, enough by itself to not, to, I don't know, that, that is almost like disqualifying. Like that, that by itself, that's like you find out somebody cheated like bad on their dissertation or something. You like cancel the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and, and, until or unless Francis Collins and Tim Keller were to publicly come out and say, I'm wrong for this and I turn from it, I could not take them seriously as leaders mm. after that discussion. While a webinar featuring Collins and then ERLC head Russell Moore largely centered again on the importance of pastors convincing church members to get vaccinated, the discussion also moved on to the topic of masks. With Moore nodding along, Collins held up a basic over-the-counter cloth square. This is not a political statement, he asserted. This is not an invasion of your personal freedom. This is a life-saving medical device. Hmm. Right. Interesting. So that's more right. <clears throat> and so oh, there's so much here to comment on. I, I just uh, try to keep this short, but it, it completely is a political statement because mm-hmm. the civil government is now forcing people to do this, which makes it political. The question is, is it a good um, political? Is it right and just? And is it allowable for the civil government to mm-hmm. do that in this case? Is there a good science backing it up? Is there a good reason to put these measures in place. And of course those, you know, you have people like Russell Moore asserting this. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but there he is, you know, promoting this stuff. Rick Warren and Collins spent their interview jointly lamenting the unlovingness of Christians who question the efficacy of masks, specifically framing it as a matter of obedience to Jesus. Hmm. Wearing a mask is the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The best-selling author of The Purpose Driven Life declared before going on to specifically argue that religious leaders have an obligation to convince religious people to accept the government's narratives about COVID. Basham has demonstrated that the federal government indeed used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda. But I would like to press the point further to a central problem, one that the Bride of Christ must get straight on because it is going to come up again. That pr- and I think that's a good point. Like the reason 
to do this like post game film, right? You want to, mm-hmm. you know, you got to play this team again. So learn from your mistakes. Okay. We know, we know the game, the game plan. We know the playbook. Now we know this stuff. This isn't the end of this type of thing. The government has been pushing and pushing and enlarging and growing. I mean, it's massive at this point. It's, it's so far from what it should have been and what it was originally meant to be. There's it's almost impossible to even imagine it getting back mm-hmm. to what it needs to be, but it only goes in one direction and that's bigger. And so the next time they do something like this and they use these sort of, you know, some people knowingly, some people unknowingly puppets to propagate these ideas, we need to be prepared for it. The problem is that the government partnered with evangelical leaders in an attempt to muzzle the kingdom of God. When Collins joined these evangelical leaders on their platforms, they took upon themselves the right to instruct ordained ministers as to how they should shepherd and govern the church of God. Ecclesiastical authority is, of course, given to the ordained ministers, elders, and pastors, and it is manifestly not given to the federal government. Even so, these interviews involved exhortations to pastors to put forward public health measures to their churches, promote vaccines, keep their churches closed, keep their peoples isolated and masked up. Basham said it well, quote, Throughout all of it, Collins brought the message to the faithful through their preachers and leaders. God is calling Christians to do the right thing. Brothers, we have a kingdom. So before we go to this next part, you know, you see, you see how the reason you have to point out names here is because these people have been extended major influence in people's lives. They are the leaders. You know, they're Mm -hmm. the people we've looked up to for years to kind of like give us sound biblical application to cultural issues, to generals of the faith, all that kind of thing. And so the fact that they've now in many cases just either disqualify themselves or or raise serious concern, I think that that trust we have extended needs to be pulled back again until and unless they repent publicly Mm. of doing this, these kinds of things, they continue to miss it in every way. And they just can't trust someone like that as a leader. Ooh, you know, you get you wow. get a couple of chances like that and you don't you never admit your failure. I'm not going to I'm not following you into the battlefield anymore. Wow. You know, that's heartbreaking. You know, to the, I, it's, it's just interesting how he said they took it upon themselves to instruct the church right. morally <laughs> and the uh, the leaders willingly accept it as just something to process. Yeah, man. You know, we, we are the ones that we have the authority of the scripture and the spirit mm. to know what we should do morally. Yeah. But they instructed the leaders yeah. and the leaders instructed the sheep. And yeah, man. Here we are. Here we are. So that's just something to really process. So this is good post game. And it is interesting, you know, that that I can imagine the board meetings they had behind. They're like, uh, you know, the the church ain't getting on board with these with with these uh, World Economic Forum measures we got going on here and the the Great Reset. So how do we? Oh, Francis Collins, he's an evangelical, right? Who are the people you need to talk to publicly to get the people on board? Mm. You know, because we do. We are we are made and wired to follow leaders. You know, we we do have that. We have people we look up to and you have this, um, you have leaders that God puts in place, but sometimes you find out these leaders aren't worthy of the office. Mm. And I think again, many of these guys, not, not everybody that we've ever talked about, but many of these guys have shown themselves now have proven themselves to not be worthy of us following them. Wow. 
The church of God is not an essential service. The church of God is the very kingdom of God on earth. Many well-meaning Christians insisted throughout COVID that the church was essential. Yet that very language came from the state. The state deemed what services were essential and what services were not. And many in the church insisted to the state that the church must be categorized as essential. But there is a deep and refined point of Christian doctrine, one that must be unearthed by careful analysis of the Greek. It teaches, the church is not a Walmart. If we... That is a deep Greek uh, understanding. There, right? um, yeah. Yeah. And so what he's saying here is, is so true. Like we, we can't get into that game next time if this happens where they're, where they come up with this list, this arbitrary list of essential and unessential businesses yeah. and then vie to get on the essential list. Like that's exactly. not even, that's not even, that's not even the question. It's such a psychological, it feels so I mean, it was everywhere, essential, yeah, non-essential, essential. Non- and then you, that's all you, you, you kind of, your head spun and was like, oh, we're not essential now. The church is not. And we just took it on. We just right. kind of, you know, but this is, 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 is eye-opening. And it's right. good to reflect, okay, why did we can even consider that? Yeah. And why, why was the, why was even, why were even the strong, courageous ones trying to get on the essential list? Yeah. Like it's not even a thing. And so, yeah, there's, there's, we're going to go through this in the okay, future more in depth. Like why is there ever a place for the government to mm-hmm. shut down the church? Um, you know, if you have the bubonic plague or the black death or something where literally like 50 to 60% of people are dying in the streets and you know, can you arguably this, the, the, the state step in at that point? You know, it's a good question. Um, clearly, this was nothing like that. And so, um, but, but even putting that to the side, there's no understanding here of sphere sovereignty. And that's something that we've got to understand as well. Like in the Protestant Reformation, they really developed this, this doctrine of sphere sovereignty. When you talk about government, it's not just state or civil government. Like there were different types of governments that God had ordained, uh, the primary being self-government. Mm. So okay. you have self-government at the bottom, if you want to think of that like a foundation. And then you have like three buildings next to each other built on that. One is civil government, one is church government, and one is family government. And God has a hierarchical structure for each one of those and a design for each one of those with boundaries for each one of those, what mm. they can and cannot do That's what's it. within their, they have limited jurisdiction. And so for instance, like you have church government where the pastor or the elders or whatever, however you structure that government, according to your best understanding of the scripture, you have those who are the head of the church and they, they rule the church in that way. And they're meant to rule like elders. They have certain qualifications. They have certain boundaries, but a pastor, for instance, has no jurisdiction to come into my house and tell me that, you know, he doesn't want you um, serving romaine lettuce anymore. <laughs> or, you know, he wants you, he, he doesn't. mixed greens. Right, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't want you, you know, yeah. braiding your hair anymore. Right. Um, you, he wants you to wear an afro from now on. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like we would think it's silly, mm-hmm. but that's how silly it is for the civil government to go beyond their boundaries. Um, you can't, you have limited and sometimes they overlap. Like the, the pastor can preach about the fact that we ought not commit adultery. Right. And we, he might even discipline us within the church, but he can't come over again and, you know, just presume to walk in. And, and if we have a kid and spank them, 
because they were sassing off to you or something, yeah, right? You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It would be stepping out of his jurisdiction. And so what these Protestant reformers understood and cashed out that we'll talk more about later is that each sphere is limited in its jurisdiction. They have specific functions. <clears throat> and in this case, clearly the civil government was overreaching mm-hmm. It's it, and okay. telling churches they couldn't meet and they had to mask up if you walk in and sing worship and you're not allowed to sing worship like Gavin Newsom said when we were in California. Yeah. It was laughable. And what should have been the response was laughter and just continue on as though nothing happened because the, just like the government can't all of a sudden legislate that I wear a blue hat every day. They can't legislate that churches are inessential and that this and that. It's just not within their boundary, especially in this case of COVID. And so it was clearly the case that they were had gone beyond. And to try to get on the essential list is accepting that premise mm-hmm. that the civil government has say over the church yeah. government when they're parallel, they're not subordinate. Yeah. Be ready for the next overreach of the state. Then indeed, we can start by turning a deaf ear to those evangelicals who were used by the state to spread COVID propaganda. But we must immediately add to this first step a thorough acquaintance with the truth that the Church of God is established by God and exists as a co-equal sphere alongside the state. The state giving directives to the owners of a local hair salon is one thing, and the state giving directives to the Church of the Living God is another. My point is not to deny the civil government's authority around sacred things. I grant it. My point is to remind the church that she indeed is an established authority and reality in the world running alongside, not under, the state. Once that point is settled, Christians must see that the kingdom of God, of which they are a part, is indeed coming on earth as it is in heaven. This means that the Church of God maintains moral authority to declare the truth of God to the state. What we have in this article from the Daily Wire is clear examples of the preaching going in the wrong direction. Scott Manich has explained the situation in Geneva during the time of the Reformation. Quote, Although Calvin and his pastoral colleagues did not possess formal civil authority, they did exercise substantial moral authority within Geneva due to their intellectual stature, as well as to the crucial role that the pulpit played in mass communication and indoctrination. Our context is indeed different, but our work of reformation is no less palpable. The Church of God publicly assembles for the worship of the triune God. In so doing, she reminds the city that there is a God in heaven who rules the kingdom of men. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17. By divine institution, individuals are solemnly admitted into the visible church through baptism. The Lord's Supper is administered to a distinct and baptized people, while it is denied to those who have not been called out of darkness. In this table fellowship, the church proclaims the Lord's death until he comes, again in public, formal, and assembled fashion. The word of God is openly declared by ordained men, and in so doing, the kingdom of God is opened, and those who were once outside of that kingdom are brought in. These functions of the kingdom of God were suppressed by the government throughout COVID, and certain evangelical leaders found themselves aiding that very suppression. Due to the hyper-spiritualized and individualized instincts of evangelicals, they by and large succumbed to that governmental suppression. 
And far too many officers of the church look to the CDC for how they should govern, modeling their approach not off of the revealed word, but the policies and procedures of their local Home Depot. All of that is double plus no good. And now is an excellent time to review the game film and resolve not to make the same mistakes again. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, and the battle is very much still on. As we march forward, Chesterton's hymn, O God of Earth and Altar, can be our theme song. O God of Earth and Altar, bow down and hear our cry. Our earthly rulers falter, our people drift and die. The walls of gold entomb us, the swords of scorn divide. Take not thy thunder from us, but take away our pride. Mm. From all that terror teaches, from lies of tongue and pen, from all the easy speeches that comfort cruel men, from sale and profanation of honor and the sword, from sleep and from damnation, deliver us, good Lord. Ooh. Tie in a living tether the prince and priest and thrall. Bind all our lives together, smite us and save us all. In ire and exaltation, aflame with faith and free, lift up a living nation, a single sword to thee. Wow. It's good, right? Oh, man. So good. Um, and so, That's you awesome. know, like you said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I wish, man, I, nothing would be better right now than for Big Eva to, to make an about face in a mm -hmm. real way, not mm -hmm. to just jump on. Because I think, I think a lot of people are waking up to their antics and, and it's like people are moving on. So I don't want them to wake up because of that. But I want a genuine repentance where they mm -hmm. say, you know what? Pretty much everything we've done for the last two or three years has been awful. Mm. We're going to step down and get some training and come back to you in a humble way. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and I think it would be amazing. We could use those guys like, you know, we could use Tim Keller. Um, these guys could really help out if they would, you know, really turn from mm. it. But I think, you know, going back to um, going back, if I could pull up this uh, thing here to that email with our, with my friend that was kind of given some resistance and just basically saying that Douglas Wilson was maybe off and critiquing say. some of this. I think, again, we see here that if anything, I, I honestly think he was too easy on mm. some of these folks. And, and it's, it is a spectrum. Like uh, I do think that Al Mohler is maybe on the, the lesser end of offense on that spectrum, but I do want to point something out and give you guys a resource here that I think is important. So if you go to enemies within the church.com enemies within the church.com, it's that movie. We showed a, a couple clips from it a few weeks ago on, on the separatist pietist thing. Um, and I'm going to be showing that here. If you follow along um, with us on, on YouTube, you can see it here. But if you go there, they have something they've developed called the Wokipedia. <laughs> and so if you click on it, you'll see it's got a bunch of individuals listed here. Um, they just added a couple new I saw here a day or two ago, uh, Tabidi Anabwile and Eric Mason, who we both actually saw when we, mm -hmm. we attended the Woke Church Conference a couple years ago. And, um, again, Air Mason, like a lot of truth, but you know, some stuff in there that definitely is on the woke end of the spectrum. You got Rick Warren here, but, uh, Francis, Francis Collins. Collins. So just a little bit about this. It's not, it's not meant to just like label people and say, oh, these guys are woke. So dismiss them. It's not that it's actually much more valuable than that. Cause it lists them when you click on them. It has a little bit about their background. It has an overview of why they're claiming they're woke. And then it has actual um, lists of their quotes mm -hmm. with links that you can click on to see that they're not taking it out of context. 
um, to you can see that they're actually saying these things in a way that fit the woke ideology, the critical theory um, lens that it really is the ideological really opponent of Christianity, the main one in our culture. And these guys are giving um, help to that. So I clicked on Francis Collins here and I'll just touch on a little bit of it here. It talks about he, he has argued basically for the use of fetal tissue um, to be used for good since they're, since they're being aborted anyways, he's not necessarily arguing that you abort them in order to do that, but he's saying these, fetuses that are being boarded, well, we should still use the fetal tissue wow. for these things. And that's a, that's a complicated ethical issue. That's not a, I won't even like drill down too much on that for this purpose. But I, th- I thought one of the couple of the things that would really stood out to me was um, his views on homosexualism and transgenderism that I had no idea. Like, again, so I, I remember the the evolution thing. And the challenge of that is when you do go down that road, it tends, JP Moreland says it tends to undermine confidence in the Bible. And especially it tends to undermine confidence that the Bible teaches you truths about life, especially outside of that narrow field of the gospel. So if it's, you know, if it's, if basically you adopt the evolutionary paradigm, you really have a hard time maintaining any historical Adam and Eve any historical doctrine of the orig- of original sin, of the fall, those types of things. You get rid of those, it's hard to understand like the effects of the fall, like that's the sin nature, yeah. um, the distortion oh, of sexuality, the creational norms okay. tend to be bound up with the Genesis story. So once you get rid of that, the creational norms are hard to uphold. So it makes sense that Francis Collins would begin to co- go down this road with these issues, but I just wasn't aware that he was. But here's a little bit from the Wikipedia. It says... In June of 2021, Francis Collins promoted sodomy and transgenderism through a letter from his official position as the director of the NIH. He spoke about his support for Pride Month, cheered those who are open homosexualists and transvestites, and bemoaned his relative lack of experience as a, quote, white, cisgender, and heterosexual man. Mm. So that's the critical theory language, right? Um, rather than upholding the biblical position on sodomy and cross-dressing, Collins revealed that it was his intention to prioritize the voices of those who are stuck in their sins rather than voices of those who have been freed from sin oh by boy. the grace of the Holy Spirit. So there's that prior listening yeah. to these voices. That's, that's part of the, the ones that have been delivered. from. Yes. That's very and that, again, critical theory. That's why it's the Wikipedia because. Whose voices do you listen to? The minoritized voices that agree with critical theory. Mm-hmm. So he goes on here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He also made it clear that he will utilize science for the express political purpose of supporting those in the LGBT, etc. Um, category array of sinful behaviors. And just to give you a few of the quotes here, here here's actually Collins on quotes quote. I'm excited to share this year's pride theme, allyship in action, unquote. And you know what allyship is. It's allying with the LGBTQ agenda. Um, Quote, in my view, NIH can demonstrate leadership and have a significant and positive impact in the lives of sexual gender minority individuals by using science as a form of allyship. So SGM is the... um, Acronym for that sexual and gender minorities. So whenever you see that language too, that's typically coming from the the critical theory side. Uh, Quote, similarly, our Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion 
has been coordinating education, cultural awareness programs, and other activities via a designated principal strategist. Um, We know that SGM individuals, especially those of color, are at a greater risk of encountering experiences of discrimination and harassment. For that reason, we constantly strive to ensure SGM, again, Mm -hmm. sexual gender minority voices, are welcomed and integrated across the numerous steering committees and working groups for these initiatives. Um, quote, one of the best ways we can reaffirm our commitment to these principles is by exemplifying our allyship for SGM people through inclusive science. And last one, I hope you join me this pride month in exemplifying allyship and celebrating the broad diversity of SGM communities. So same thing they had, they list the stuff where Collins is working with evangelical leaders, but all this stuff is worth checking out. If you get a chance, go, go to the, the Wikipedia and mm. check that out wow. and you'll, you'll see kind of what's going on. And again, like that's something good to know, right? Like I've, like I've, I respected Francis Collins for years and really appreciated what he was doing. Yeah, but now I see him in a different light because I don't think he's being faithful to what we should do as Christians. He's denying the Bible to get along with the culture and go along with the narrative that's actually destroying the very creational norms at the heart of what God created human beings to be. Um, Let's go down here. I'll just visit a couple more. Um, If we can pull them up here. Let's see if you guys are following along. Ed Stetzer, it's got a lot of stuff on him. Even David Platt, Russell Moore, Tim Keller. But I do want to, I want to just kind of end on Al Mohler here because that was one of the main persons that um, my friend brought up and saying, Hey, we're creating too much of an us them mentality by putting people like him on the list because he has historically done great. And I, and I will, I will have admitted and will say again, yes, like he was, he was one of the guys, you know, you look to in the conservative movement to be unchanging solid, like this guy will never do that kind of stuff. Like you just wouldn't have expected it. And like I said, he hasn't done it as bad as some folks, but here's a, there's, there's a guy named John Harris that does conversations that matter. Um, really good podcast where he's really tracking this kind of stuff in depth. And so he's, he's been following along with the woke agenda for years and writing on it at a high level. He's got a couple books on it as well, Okay. but, um, here's what he wrote. This was just last week. I came across this. He says, I've gotten a lot of questions about Al Mohler recently given his attempt to rebrand and pull right since the election mostly. So there seems to be some kind of thing where people are perceiving that he's pulling back to more of a conservative side since the election happened, whereas he was kind of teetering, pushing some leftward stuff that we'll talk about here in a minute um, that's on the Wikipedia. But here's what John Harris said. He says, Mueller hasn't admitted or retracted any of the damage he's done, unfortunately. Most of this is cataloged and footnoted in Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict. That's a book that John Harris had written. Um, and here's what, he, here's what he notes of Moeller. He said, Moeller changed his positions on homosexual orientation and conversion therapy. Mm, okay. So it's a subtle point, but he used to say there is no such thing as a homosexual orientation of being gay. Um, and, and that's a, that's a whole debate, but he basically said he thinks there is now, and he's against conversion therapy. Um, he believes Southern Baptists are quote, guilty of a sinful absence of historical curiosity, unquote, by ignoring racism 
and the, quote, stain of racism, unquote, on the, de- on the denomination will never go away until Christ comes. He characterized the United States as conceived in racism and that it affected every structure in the United States. He connected the shootings of Michael Brown and Breonna Taylor to police racism. And by the way, this is me talking. If you've ever um, get the chance, what, what was that Shelby Still movie called? What it? killed Michael Brown? Who killed Michael Brown? Yeah, what, what killed Michael what Brown? Killed Michael Brown it's I think. really good. It, it, yeah, it's it's a great movie to watch. I can't remember if you can still get it on Amazon. A lot of a lot of people are trying to cancel it, but Shelby Still, a brilliant black conservative who was very much involved in the civil rights movement, but he did a, an in depth kind of documentary on what actually led to Michael Brown's killing. And he would completely disagree with Moeller here on that. But anyways, uh, back to the list here. Moeller signed the SBC statement connecting George Floyd's death to systemic injustice and past oppression. And he insinuated the phrase Black Lives Matter is acceptable. He opposed critical race theory in the abstract after Resolution 9, yet defended the motives of the Resolutions Committee. He hired and defended Curtis Woods, Jarvis Williams, and Matthew Hall, and I'll come back to that in a minute. He defended Danny Aiken and Adam Greenway on social justice issues, yet not founders CBN and John MacArthur on those same issues. He approved of condemning the Southern Cross and retiring the broadest gavel. He approved of Russell Moore's performance while Moore was pushing the needle left, and he, ex- he was exposed by Russell Fuller and Tom Rush. Um... And this Harris ends with this. He says, I don't post any of these facts with disdain for Moeller. Mm. He's just not someone who can be trusted until he admits, retracts, reverses his statements and actions, and then builds trust with Christians over time. And that's what I, again, that's what I would say for all these guys is when they do that, yeah, come back. It's awesome. You know, if there's genuine repentance, but again, it doesn't look like he's done that. And, and if you look on the Wikipedia here, it goes through. Who Curtis Woods, Jarvis Williams, and Matthew Hall is, and they were pushing the CRT agenda, and he was allowing them to remain at the okay. seminary. <clears throat> and I think um, he was either involved or allowed, uh, I want to say that other guy that he mentioned at the end, to be fired, Russell Fuller, um, was one of the faculty there who questioned Moeller and basically got into hot water because of it. So there's there's kind of this stuff going on behind the scenes. That again, I don't think he's as bad of an offender as Russell Moore or someone like that or David French, but he definitely needs to be called out for stuff like that. Now, I'm not the one to necessarily throw rocks at him because you know he's just in a higher level than me. He's got a lot more responsibility. He's done a lot more. He's stood for years faithful. So that's not me coming, but I will say this. I do, I do believe because of these things that Douglas Wilson was right to mention mm-hmm. him in that same conversation. Yeah. So although I really relate and can understand the email that we received on that, that's the only reason why I would, I would kind of have to stay standing where I stand on that and say that, no, Douglas Wilson needed to mention it. And, and I hope that Moeller swinging back right, I hope that he also admits some of this stuff and make some corrections to it. Cause it'd be awesome to have him back yeah. like in full strength molar, you know, uh, back, back how he used to be. So that's kind of, um, you know, maybe we'll get off of, off of big Eva for a little bit now, but <laughs> I just wanted people to get a picture. If you haven't been following this in depth, there's a reason why some of these guys are coming out really strong and I don't think they're being overly divisive. 
I think they're pointing out something that really needs to be pointed out and made public and hopefully corrected because if we don't get our generals right, people are going to continue to look to them and they're going to be led astray and the church isn't going to step up and do what we need to do in this cultural moment that we're in. Amen. Amen. That's a good one. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, being with us another week and we will see you next time. Mm